everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me as usual is the oldest man to ever appear on a podcast, my co-host Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing this week? You know, I wasn't going to reveal that until much later, but uh, you stole my thunder. No big deal. Hey, I'm doing great. I'm really enjoying uh, baseball right now. These wild card pennant chases are really fun. I am not. I am. I am not watching the A's. It is, my mental health cannot take it. I, I literally am not watching. I haven't watched a game in a week. I follow them. I usually watch the Mariner games. I watch Blue Jays. I watch the Reds. Won't watch the A's. See, folks, this is what happens if you get way too into baseball. You, you start a podcast and then you you're so such a big fan that you can't even watch anymore. Yeah. Well, you can thank my anxiety problems for that but yeah i can't i just can't do it anymore but uh, i'm just just following them checking the scores every now and then so i'm, I'm doing okay mentally though that's the important part <laughs> well that's what matters right you know you, if you don't have your health you don't have anything yeah so all right this is uh gonna be a fun episode it's gonna be one of our tales from the dugout episode which i know are are actually really popular so that's fun it's also fun for us to just do some shorter stories it's essentially a whole episode of batting practice but before we do get into it we do have some batting practice stuff to take care of so let's get right into that now mark it is not very often that i come across either a picture a video or a story about ricky henderson that i have not already heard seen saved to a hard drive somewhere anything like that but what there's stuff there's stuff like that there is stuff yes there is a story i heard this week about ricky henderson i'd never heard before and i love it a ton this is uh, this is a story from Dave Henderson. Of course, okay. uh, Dave Henderson unfortunately passed away a while ago. But this is a story uh, that Dave Henderson told. So just imagine that I'm Dave Henderson as I say this. I'm just going to read it verbatim from him. So uh, here we go. Quote. When Ricky got traded to the A's, we'd walk through the locker room and somebody would say, hey, Hendu. And we'd both look up. Well, we had to figure something out. So we're both in the on-deck circle one day, and I say to him, I say, the first guy who goes deep is Hendu. The other guy will either be Dave or Ricky. So I forgot that the guy that I'm making this bet with has the most leadoff home runs ever. Well, he hits a homer in his next at-bat, and he's coming around the bases laughing like crazy. He's yelling, I'm Hendu, I'm Hendu. Well, the pitcher and the catcher start getting pissed. They think he's showing them up. I had to explain things before they started throwing at me. Ricky goes back to the dugout and he's still yelling, I'm Hendu, I'm Hendu. The funny part is everybody knows he's always been Ricky and I've always been Hendu, but it was still a bad bet. (laughs) (laughs) I can just see him laughing and yelling, I'm Hendu. (laughs) Yeah, but Dave Henderson was always Hendu and Ricky is just Ricky. That's right. That's pretty funny. It sounds like something Ricky would do, too. That's what's great about oh, absolutely. it. absolutely. And it absolutely does sound like something if you're on the opposing team and don't know what's going on, that you probably wouldn't be yes. happy about it either. Yes, exactly. I had a shower thought the other day. A random thought while I was in the shower. With this three batter minimum, I think, what are we in this? Is this the second or third year of the three batter minimum? I think it's the second, right? Yeah, second year. Well, since this rule went into place, we no longer have loogie guys. Left-handed, one-out guys. Loogie. Uh, oh, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, someone to close out the inning. Because that was one of the great acronyms was loogie, and it's no longer. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't allowed to use that word for years. <laughs> <laughs> Something really cool happened last week. And, and I don't know if it's, I think it's cool. And I don't speak highly of the Astros, rarely ever. But uh, something happened in a game against the Diamondbacks that I thought was really smart. So Kyle Tucker and Yuli Gurriel are on base for the Astros. Uh, I think uh, Tucker was on second, Gurriel was on third, and there's a fly ball to right field, and Gurriel tags up at third, and he comes home to score. Well, if you look at the video, he clearly left before the ball was caught on the sack fly. Uh, The throw went home. He was safe. Tucker advanced to third. Now, what happened here is 
I think I think it's genius, which I don't like to again praise the Astros. What Kyle Tucker did, and I'm assuming he was told to do this by the third base coach or from the dugout, whatever, before the Diamondbacks could have the pitcher step off the mound and throw over to third for the appeal, Tucker just took off for home. They threw him out easily, but the ball is then in play and out is recorded, so you can't go back and review that. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. It is, right? I mean, it's... It's not cheating because it's no. there, there's nothing they're doing outside of the rules. They're just simply using another rule to, <laughs> to, to help themselves. That uh, I, I never would have thought of that, I don't think. I know I wouldn't have. I know I'm not. That's smart, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is time for the uh, Lars Newt Bar update. Cue the theme. New. 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 Uh, it's getting ugly. It's, oh, getting, no. it's, it's getting ugly. The last time that Lars Newtbar had a, uh, a base hit was August 28th. Ooh. So that is almost a month ago was the last time that Lars Newtbar had a base hit. Now, he did, uh, he did walk once since then. On uh, September 8th, he walked. But uh, his average is now down to 207, well below the Lars Newt bar. Yes. And uh, he's struggling. But you know what? He made the social media rounds last week because he made a great defensive play. He robbed a home run uh, from Pete Alonzo. He robbed a a home run. And uh, for some reason, for a lot of people, this was the first time they'd ever heard of Lars Newt bar. So it was a pretty popular clip which just goes to show that our podcast doesn't really <laughs> reach as many people as we would like. Well, but it, it also shows that we're total trendsetters, right? Yeah, we were, I mean, we've hey. been on this Lars Newt bar train long, long before the rest of the mainstream media. Absolutely. Uh, let's go into our debuts. Uh, this show is debuting on September 21st. So we've got a couple of players that we want to talk about. First of all, Freshly minted Hall of Famer Ted Simmons made his debut today in 1968. Now, I I will be the first to admit, I don't know a lot about Ted Simmons. I remember him at the very end of his career when he was uh, on Atlanta. I I remember him from the, the TBS days. But, I mean, that was at the very, very tail end of his career. I looked up his numbers here, and I am wondering if there has ever been a Hall of Famer with less black ink than Ted Simmons. Interesting. He has only three categories that he ever led the league in, and interestingly enough, none of them are included when you talk about black ink in terms of being a being a a Hall of Famer, and I'll I'll get to that in a minute. So in 1973, he led the league in double plays grounded into, not generally when you want to. And then in back-to-back years in 76 and 77, he led the league in intentional walks. Well, there's one to shoot for. Yeah, so (laughs) that is the only three times he ever led the league in any category. But now if you look at his overall numbers... He had 2,472 hits, which in a 21-year career, I argue, if you're a Hall of Famer, you should probably be closer to to 3,000, unless you're just a a pure home run hitter, of which he was not. 248 career home runs, batting average career-wise of 285, which, again, we don't put a lot of weight in batting average, but that's pretty good. An on-base percentage of 348, which I argue is decent, I'm not going to say that's a Hall of Fame on base percentage, though, by any means. No, it, it's good, but yeah, it's it, good. you're right. It's not like uh, special. I, I would say it is slightly above average. I, I'm not even sure that I would call that all-star level. Slugging percentage 437 for a 785 OPS and a 118 OPS plus for his career. Hmm. So numbers aren't great. He was an eight-time All-Star. He did break Johnny Bench's streak of uh, starting the All-Star game. I think it was eight years in a row Bench started behind the plate for the National League. And then uh, Ted Simmons broke that. 
Also won a Silver Slugger one year. The most MVP votes he ever got was in 1975, coincidentally a non-All-Star year for him when he came in sixth in All-Star voting. Hmm. I mean, he sounds like a really good player. He was consistent. He was consistent. He was a good defensive. uh, He got better defensively. Postseason, nothing to write home about. He appeared in 17 games, 186, 279, 356 slash, which is not good. But if you look on baseball reference down near the bottom of the page, they have Hall of Fame statistics and they normally have black ink, gray ink, and then a couple of other things like Jaws and Hall of Fame monitor. They don't even list black ink here because he just he didn't have any categories that he led in that are considered black ink categories. Yeah, double plays and intentional walks. Uh, generally, those are not uh, Hall of Fame deciding numbers right there. No, and the average Hall of Famer's black ink average is around 27. And he had zero. Okay. <laughs> so, again, kind of tells you a little something about that. So if you look at Jaws, he had a 50.3 career war. An average Hall of Fame catcher has a 53.8. So very close. His yeah. seven-year peak was 34.8, which is the exact Hall of Fame average for a catcher. Okay. So, I mean, he's really right kind of on par there with with Hall of Fame catchers. But, uh, again, I mean, a a catcher's job, not so much to put up the offense, especially when he played. But I did want to compare him to who we've talked about, a player that is generally considered the, I don't want, I hate to say worst, but the least worthy Hall of Famer, High Pockets Kelly. Right. Good old six foot four, 190 George Kelly. He had a black ink total of 13 compared to Ted Simmons' zero. Well, yeah. Think of it. That's, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. Think of it. Think of it as you want. Now, there is uh, one thing that I do want to say about uh, Ted Simmons that I'm very excited about. He has a very nice recipe for a Coca Cola braised onion burger. Really? Ooh. How's it going? Ted Simmons here, former St. Louis Cardinals catcher. I'm here today to show you how to light up the grill with the perfect Coca-Cola braised onion burger. But first, we'll need a few things. Lettuce. Onion. Coca-Cola. Bobblehead? Yeah, he has another important record as well. He is the first person to have a recipe on two-strike noise. (laughs) Now, I do have a list of uh, baseball-themed cookbooks with recipes from big leaguers that I was going to review at some point. But yes, I think this is the first recipe that we've we've put out there. And look in the show notes. I'll try to figure out where this recipe is if you do want to, in fact, try a a Coca-Cola braised onion burger. Moving on, next we've got another debut today in 1963. Joe Morgan makes his first appearance in the big leagues for the Houston Colt 45s at the age of 19. Wow. Yeah. So uh, let's get through a couple of Joe Morgan things here. Uh, First of all, after retirement, Joe ran three Wendy's franchises in the Oakland area, and he uh, also became a distributor for Coors Beer in Northern California. Nice. Uh, Of course, uh, Hall of Famer, two-time MVP, back-to-back years. In 1975 and 1976, 10-time All-Star, he won two World Series, five gold gloves, and uh, he was the All-Star MVP uh, one year as well. A lot more black ink for Joe Morgan. I mean, obviously, Joe Morgan was a great player. One thing that struck me here, though, is his postseason numbers. He appeared in 50 games. He slashed 182, 323, and 348. (laughs) <laughs> that's it huh that is it that is awful <laughs> that's, that's terrible uh for somebody that was constantly in the playoffs with the big red machine that is yeah the, that's not great numbers joe morgan was elected to the hall of fame in 1990 on his first year of eligibility the only other second baseman that was inducted in their first year on their ballot was jackie robinson in 1962 Nice. Uh, I think uh, I think that has since been broken, though. Uh, doing some reading on Joe, I th- I found that he really was a polarizing figure, both during his playing days as well as after. Now I've made it clear where I fall on him as a non-player, 
But he also wasn't particularly popular with several of his teammates through his playing days. And that includes time in Cincinnati. But, uh, you know, I also found out some things about some of the hardships that he went through regarding racism, especially in the minor leagues and, uh, you know, some of the good stuff that he did charity wise. Joe Morgan did appear on an episode of Married with Children in 1994. Now, if you notice, Mark, when we do these baseball players once appeared on a TV show, it seems like nine times out of ten, it's always in 1994. wonder why. And married with children quite often. Yeah. So uh, I just happened to find a promo for this episode. Sunday. If the baseball players don't want to play, I say the hell with them. We'll play with ourselves. Al Bundy starting a league of his own. Guess what you're looking at? The Sultan of Swift. But is he ready to take on the major league's greatest players? I guarantee you I watched that episode. I promise you, I did. <laughs> so the players that appeared in this episode, Mike Piazza, Brett Saberhagen, who for some reason they did not have him rap. I don't know why. Yeah. Danny Tartable, who just bounced between Seinfeld and, and Married with Children and every other TV show. Uh, the Big Hurt, Frank Thomas, Dave Winfield, and then Joe Morgan was uh, there as the announcer. So they had four Hall of Famers on that show. Next, we have got well, our final debut is in 1908. Home Run Baker. Oh, so, yes. We've talked about Home Run Baker. Yeah. So this is a, actually all three of our debuts this week are all Hall of Famers. In 1909, his second year in the big leagues, Baker was part of Connie Mack's $100,000 infield with the Philadelphia Athletics, along with first baseman Stuffy McGinnis, second baseman Eddie Collins, and shortstop Jack Barry. He hit 305 with a 447 slugging percentage and four home runs, including the first home run to ever go over the fence in right field in Shide Park. In 1917, he was with the Yankees, and Baker, along with Wally Pip, Roger Peckinpah, and Ping Bodie, led the Yankees with some power, leading the league with 47 home runs total. This led sports cartoonist Robert Ripley of the Globe to coin the term Murderer's Row, the original Murderer's Row. Today, when you hear that, you know, when you hear right. Murderer's Row, you usually think of the 27 Yankees, which... Ruth and Garrett. Yeah, but the original one was in 1917 with Baker, Pip, Peckinpah, and Bodie. Wow. Home run Baker, you know, there weren't a lot of home runs hit when he was playing, but he led the league for four years in a row and was really considered the first power hitter, and this was in the dead ball era. He also led the league two years in a row with uh, RBI, in 1912 and 1913, he hit 130 and 117 RBI. He was around 20 triples every single year as well, and he stole 235 bases in his career. Not bad. I just want to look something. We, we talked about Joe Morgan's postseason numbers, right? <laughs> Home yes. run Baker appeared in 25 games. He slashed 363, 396, 560 for an OPS of 956. Ooh, yow. That is the way you do it in the postseason. Man, I guess. Three World Series, 1910, 1911, and 1913, all with the Philadelphia Athletics. His black ink, by the way, was 26, which is 26 oh, higher than Ted Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's enough for debuts for uh, this week. Now, last week during debuts, we talked about Benito Santiago being the first catcher to wear a jersey number, starting with the number or whatever you you consider a zero. Uh, one of our listeners, Brian Krause, pointed out that Junior Ortiz, also a catcher, he wore just plain number zero starting in 1989 for the Bucks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember Junior Ortiz? Then, then sure. he went on and he played for the uh, the Twins, Cleveland, and Texas, where he wore number zero. The first couple of uh, seasons in the big leagues, he wore 36, 34, and 26, and then he switched to the zero, presumably for the O in his last name. Right. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. 13 years in the big leagues, he never played another defensive position other than catcher. Never got stuck at first base, never... Right. He DH'd 
one year in 1990 with the Twins. He he DH'd a little bit. Beyond that, it's just twos for for the catcher and uh, and uh, pinch hitting. That's all he did. Uh, trivia last week. My trivia question was: Who holds the record for the longest on base streak in Major League Baseball history? This was kind of a palate cleanser because I had stumped just about everybody the week before. Uh, Mark, did you come up with the uh, anybody for the longest on base streak? I was going to go with home run Baker. Well, uh, good answer, a timely answer, but no, the answer is actually Ted Williams reached base in eighty-four consecutive games in nineteen forty-nine. So for over wow. half the season, and they only played 144 games, remember, in, in 1949. So well right. over half the season, he reached base consecutively. That's amazing. We're going to go, we're going to call them the usual suspects again. Chris Cook, Brian Krause, and Andrew Harner all came in with the right answer there. And uh, I got a new question for you now. This one is, it's not easy, and it's very specific. So we'll see if uh, how this one goes on the level of difficulty. Question for you is, who hit the first cycle in Texas Rangers history? Hmm. Okay. Put your thinking cap on. See what you can come up with there. My thinking cap is broken, Jeff. Uh, but that's, I think that was just assumed. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't want to. I don't want to cast dispersions on you, but yeah. All right. So let's uh, let the grand screw come out and do their stuff. And let us get ready for another exciting episode of Tales from the Dugout. Uh, Mark, I'm going to go first here. I wanted to uh, talk about a known curmudgeon, but a Hall of Famer and uh, definitely somebody that maybe even casual non-baseball fans know who they are. I want to talk about Carlton Fisk, and I want to okay. talk about him specifically with another baseball player that I am guessing everybody, like my mom, even knows who it is, and that is Neon Dion Sanders. Prime time. May 22nd, 1990, White Sox at the Yankees. Deion Sanders is on the Yankees at this point. Carlton Fisk is on the White Sox. Deion came up to the dish a couple of times, and, and Fisk was behind it. They had a little bit of a disagreement, and uh, here we're going to listen to Carlton Fisk describe what happened that night. And uh, in this clip, you will also hear somebody cackling in the background, uh, that is none other than the, the aforementioned Joe Morgan, who had Carlton on a radio show to discuss this. You know, I don't know if anybody realizes this, but he'd come up to the plate and saunter up the plate like he owned the stadium, and he used to draw a dollar sign in the dirt at home plate. <laughs> and, you know, the second time he did that, the first time I went, oh, man, this guy's just crazy. <laughs> he's driving me crazy already, and he, you know, because he's neon, Dion, the blink thing. So he draws a dollar sign in the dirt and says, so I'm going <laughs> to. So then he hits a little pop-up to the infield, and he just stands there like, uh, oh, how did you, I, I don't need to run this out because I'm neon Dan. So I it was yelling at him. I said, run the ball out. And he said, huh, what? <laughs> I said, run the ball out. And he never makes it to first base. He just takes the right and goes into the dugout. And I said, I don't know if anybody that I have ever played against has disrespected the game like he appears to be doing right. just with his body language and his attitude and the, somebody deserves his and he's not even a baseball player but somebody deserves him some so he comes up again and he draws a dollar sign in the dirt again and you know what he says joe he says hey man the days of slavery are over and i went what you no i can't say what yeah. i said i stood up and i walked up on him face to face right. and i said I don't care whether you're black or blue or pink or red. There's a right way and a wrong way to play this game, and you're playing it wrong. And you know something? I'm an old guy, and it offends guys like me. So if you don't start playing this game right, I'm going to kick your ass right here. Now, if you actually watch the clip of this, you see Pudge get up in Sanders' face. And Dion, to his credit, kept his cool. He never reacted. He stepped out of the batter's box. He turned the other way. This clearly bugged Fisk even more that he couldn't get a reaction out of Sanders. Now, you know, I agree with Fisk that you should run out a pop-up, but what I don't care for here is the gatekeeping that Fisk feels he needs to do. That's something that his own team should be doing, not somebody on the other team. Pudge is a, is a known, as I said, curmudgeon. I think Fisk might just give himself a heart attack if he were playing today. He'd, 
He would legitimately make Brian McCann <laughs> look like a level-headed arbiter of what is and isn't allowed in, in baseball today. But, you know, that was a telling from Fisk's viewpoint. I heard some other retellings of this uh, confrontation, and Fisk left out a lot, of, uh, a lot of words that he called Dion that might also have led to some of these problems. But uh, both benches emptied. There was uh, a lot more than just standing around, too. There were punches thrown. It, uh, it took a while, but none of the punches were from Fisk or Sanders. Uh, so this reminded me of the legendary rivalry between Fisk and Thurman Munson, which, of course, led to a very famous brawl in 1973 when Munson tried to bowl over Fisk at home, which, of course, led to a huge brawl. He also got into it with Lou Pinella, who likewise was trying to score this in 1976, and that brawl was also a bad one that lasted a while. But what and I, I watched this brawl with Pinella, and there were actually two brawls. The, the Pinella and Fisk started that one, and they everybody was throwing punches. It was ugly, and then it kind of broke up. But then, as everybody started to separate, Bill Lee got back into it, and there, there was another huge brawl after that. But after the first one was over, Carlton Fisk got up and taunted the Yankee crowd. This was in New York. So, I, you know, this, this guy that's just the purity of the game and, you know, is, thinks he, he's always, you know, knows what's best, got up and taunted the crowd after this brawl. And he clearly threw the first punch at Pinella. Uh, you know, they collided at home plate and Fisk did not like it. I'm not a huge punch fan. I can respect what he did. I, it did get me to, to wonder also, I wonder who holds the record for most brawls started. Yeah. Is that is that a stat that is on baseball reference? Uh, or I, don't, I have not found it. Now, I have to imagine Yasiel Puig is is up there. Uh, he started a lot. I, I have a feeling Ty Cobb is probably pretty high on that list, too. I'm, I'm just curious to I'm, I wonder who would have the record if those things were were, were kept for starting the most brawls. I wanted to I have this great quote in this little story I wanted to read, but I have to give it a little bit of background information. There's this player named Perry Worden, W-E-R-D-E-N. Maybe it's Verdin or Verdin. I don't know. But we're going to call him Perry Worden. And uh, he, he actually played five seasons in the big leagues. And this was in the 1890s. So there were big leagues and there were minor leagues. And there was kind of a blur, blurred line between them and stuff like that. Well, he was a major home run hitter. One thing I, I saw that I thought was pretty funny is uh, he, was, he got into baseball he was working in a pie bakery in St. Louis and driving a pie wagon. And he pitched for the bakery's baseball team, which was known as the Peach Pies. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can That's play for the pies. Yeah, it is. No, no, not the Peach Pies on the schedule. Uh, anyway, he, he got noticed, and, and he was a pitcher. He uh, didn't do so well, and his arm was always sore, so he decided to start hitting. And uh, he did quite well. He played for a minor league team in Toledo in 1889 and then the next year he, he played for a major league team in toledo and in 1889 he had 20 triples as did uh you mentioned someone with 20 triples earlier home run baker that's right he could have been called triple baker maybe hey and we're talking about a pie baker well this is all coming around here well worden was uh, quite a hitter he he held the most home run records uh 43 home runs in 1894 and 45 in 1895, organized baseball had never seen anything like that, and, and not necessarily the major leagues, but organized baseball. Uh, he was the guy that held the record until Babe Ruth hit 54 home runs in 1920. He was a master of the hidden ball trick, quite a character from what I've been able to surmise. He was also known uh, as a good base runner. He was 6'1", 200 pounds, uh, but he, uh, he actually stole 58 bases in 1889 and 59 in 1890, so yeah, like that. He was also known for, and I quote, exhibitions of nonsensical childish bullying, disgraceful kicking. It sounded like a description of our podcast there for a minute. <laughs> well, it was close. It was, you know. So here's the quote. All this to get to this funny quote. All right. Perry Warden said, one time I hit the ball so hard that it broke in two. Half of the ball struck a hit me for a free pair of shoes sign and the left field fence. The other half was retrieved by the left fielder and thrown in to the catcher. As I steamed home, the catcher tagged me with half a ball. The umpire called me out, but I successfully argued that our team deserved half a run. It was a close game, and we won by the score of two and a half to two. <laughs> <laughs> and then the reporter said, well, did you get the free pair of shoes? To which he replied, no, the shoemaker said I only deserved one shoe for half the ball. <laughs> 
I just thought that was so awesome. I had to tell, I want to talk about Perry Warden a little bit because it was someone I hadn't heard of and, and uh, was quite a character. Yeah. Wow. Look at these numbers in, in Minneapolis in 94 and 95, 43 home runs. He hit 417 and yeah. then he hit 45 home runs and hit 428. And then, yeah, you look at his stolen bases. He's got 58, 59, 46. He's in the thirties. Some of this wasn't against major league talent, but wow, those are some very impressive numbers, especially right? in the 18. I mean, we just talked about home run Baker as being one of the earliest home run, like big, big hitters. And he was hitting 10, 11 and 12. And here this guy is pumping 40 plus 20 years earlier. He wow. was the first 40, 40 man. Well, no, he, he was a 30, 30 man. Okay. But uh, yeah, still, nonetheless, that is almost a hundred years before Jose Canseco did it. Well, he did yeah. not 40, 40, but 30, 30. So yeah, I mean, that's, th those are some incredible numbers. Yeah. He was way before his time as far as power. And he played all the way to age 46. Yes, he played uh, 25 years of baseball, I believe. Not obviously not a lot in the big leagues, but I mean, he's no, playing five in, seasons in the majors, but 25 overall. He's playing in the Cotton States League in his 40s. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and he was on the Vicksburg Hillbillies. They're one of my favorite teams. Oh, absolutely. They all look like me. Oh, the, he was also on the Memphis Egyptians. It's an interesting name. He uh, also played for the St. Louis Maroons. So if you thought like blues and grays and other stuff we've talked about weren't odd enough, the Maroons, really? His nickname was Moose. Of course. All right. Well, I wanted to, I got one more here before we get into Wax Packs Heroes. And it's about somebody that you, uh, you've talked about many times before. I want to talk about Bob Gibson. Yes, one of my heroes. So Bob Gibson, let's go back to 1967, July 15th, 1967. Bob Gibson is facing Roberto Clemente. It was just Roberto Clemente day the last week. Very timely. Yes. All planned. So uh, Clemente hits a line drive back up the middle and it hits Gibson on the leg. Gibson was aware that <laughs> it wasn't good. He was in a lot of pain. Uh, so he rubbed some dirt on it. Actually, he, he did more than that. The trainer came out and put some tape on it. But that's all that happened. They didn't have the freeze spray. They weren't checking for broken bones or anything. He just put some tape on it. And he remains in the game. He's, Gibson says, I, you know, I didn't feel the pain after a while because it got so intense. It just, my leg was numb. So uh, he says, uh, it was odd because I couldn't feel where I'd been struck, but because I couldn't feel it, I wasn't particularly worried. So I told the trainer, just put a little tape on it and let me get back to work. Play resumes and Gibson walks Willie Stargell. Then he gets Bill Mazeroski to fly out to center. And then the next batter, Don Clendon, he gets the count to three and two. So Gibson said, quote, I tried to put a little extra on the payoff pitch, end quote. As the pitch came in, it was well outside of the strike zone. It was ball four. Gibson collapsed on the mound. Initially, the bone had been fractured, but not separated. Oh, geez. It was only after he came down on it so hard on the last pitch and his motion put a lot of weight and spinning momentum on his right leg that it broke cleanly in two. Jeez. And he collapsed on the mound. If that hadn't happened, uh, Gibson says, quote, I believe I might have been able to continue the season uninterrupted, end quote. <laughs> Gibson was taken to a hospital. His leg was put in a cast at the hospital. He didn't even want a shot, the doctor said. All they did was give him a little bit of codeine. Obviously, a lot of people thought, well, that's the end of the Cardinals this year. But instead, right. the Cardinals rallied together. They went on to win the pennant and the World Series in 1967, even without the legendary Bob Gibson. There you go. Wow, that's interesting. I have never heard that story. Obviously had not either. I mean, that's impressive. I mean, you know, guys were probably a little bit tougher back in those days than they sure. are today. Obviously, they're they're huge investments now. But to break your leg and just keep pitching and it literally take the bone breaking in two and separating to get you out of a ball game. That's that's some badassery right there. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Bob Gibson, of course, that it doesn't it's incredible, but it doesn't shock me that it was him. All right. It is time. Uh, let's get into the final segment of our show. The always popular uh, wax based gladiatorial combat with a little bit of cardboard thrown in to boot. It is time for Wax Packs. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull the Wax Pack Hero! Podcast tonight. 
All right, we're going to do a special Wax Packs Heroes again here today. Uh, one of our usual listeners, Marshall, has been kind enough to send us a couple of custom-made Wax Packs with uh, with some cards in it that he thought would be fun to hear us talk about. Maybe we haven't talked about these players before, or maybe he just likes them. I'm not sure. We're going to open up a couple of these packs, and we're going to find out. We keep a running tally for each season. Right now, Mark is on a three-game winning streak, and he's jumped ahead of me four games to three. If you're new here, or if you've just forgotten the rules, we'll go over them really quick here. What we're going to do here is we are going to take the baseball reference war of the year that the baseball card is through, and we're going to add those together. You're going to get a couple of extra points for a couple of things, or we might subtract points. If you are wearing glasses, eye black, uh, scuba gear, anything around your eyeballs, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups that we can see your sanitary socks, we like that. That's an extra tenth of a point of war. But if you are wearing the two-in-ones that Jose Canseco favored, that is a minus a tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing sweatbands with your jersey number or your caricature on it, that's an extra tenth of a point of war. If you took home any sort of award that year, like an MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, if you were an All-Star or won a gold glove, you get an extra half a point of war for each of those. If you are now in the Hall of Fame, you get a whole extra point of war. And Mark and I are each going to pick a team. If uh, my team comes up in my pack, I get an extra half a point of war. If my team comes up in Mark's pack, he minuses a half point of war. So Mark, which team are you going to go with this week? Well, I think I'm going to take the Oakland Athletics. Wow, okay. Well, then, yeah, that was kind uh, of an in-your-face move right there. Yeah, well, then, if you're going to take the A's, I am going to go with their crosstown, cross-bay rivals, the San Francisco Giants. So, All right. Uh, Mark, you have a hold of the cards this week. I do, and they are uh, 1991 Donruss. Okay. And you have to choose pack A1 or A2. They have to be done in order. Uh, well, since the A's are number one in my heart, I'm going to go with A1. All right, A1. So that means you go first this week. Okay. All right, well, so here we go. Opening the Magic Packs. All right, and it has a note that says, guess the association between these cards. So, oh, ooh. Okay. Well, if All right. Okay, so uh, first card is Jeff Schultz of the KC Royals. Let's see, Jeff Schultz, three years in the big leagues, two of it with the Royals, I will admit I have not heard of Mr. Schultz. At 1991, his final year, he was with the Bucks. Uh, let's see, he was primarily an outfielder, but was used only as a pinch hitter in three games in 1991. Uh, this is not boding well for me. Uh, that is a war of blank. They could not even come up with a war because he only appeared in three games for three at-bats and struck out twice. Well, at least it's not a negative. Anything on that card that's going to help me out? Um, you know, only in the mustache days. Ah, so no, nothing here that's going to help. Uh, Schultz's first major league at bat was a pinch hitter against Nolan Ryan in 1989. Oh. Well, that's a good way to start. Yeah, uh, but uh, so didn't have a lot of success in the big leagues. But that first at bat against Nolan Ryan delivered an RBI single. Wow. Well, see, that gives you bragging rights. Well, I guess it was just a single, no RBI, but still, nonetheless. Uh, that's uh, that's a good way to, to debut. Absolutely. Uh, Schultz also re uh, reported as a replacement player in the spring of 1995. Oops. So, yeah, whoops. <laughs> All right. right. So, so you have netted card. zero points after card one. All right. Your next player is from the San Francisco Giants. Uh-oh, there's a point. Half a point, yep. Half a point. Uh, Mr. Mark Leonard, the outfielder. All right, let's see. Mark Leonard with the Giants. So I, I at least get half a point. For that, which is good. Let's see. Uh, spent his almost his whole career, six years in the big leagues, five of it with the Giants. 1993, his sandwich year was with the Orioles. But 91, 64 games, 240 batting average, a 90 OPS plus. Uh, let's see. Primarily an outfielder and a war of 0, 0.0. <laughs> You're consistent, man. <laughs> uh, anything on that card going to help me out? Um, no, he's, uh, just, uh, oh wait, no, I can't. I'm trying to look and see if he's got the right stirrups. They look like real stirrups to me. Yeah. All right. I'm going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> That'll give me a point six. All right. Next card. All right. Next card is from the Cincinnati Reds. Jeff Reed. Jeff, don't call me Jody Reed, the catcher. All right. Jeff Reed, catcher. Wow. 17 years in the big leagues for Jeff Reed. Wow. I would have never guessed that. I remember him from the Rockies, where he spent a good portion of his career. 
Spent five years in Cincinnati in 19... No, he was on that 90 Reds team uh, that beat the A's, obviously, in the World Series. 91, uh, 267 batting average for a 91 OPS+. plus. Kind of a career, just backup, number two guy, catcher, which nothing wrong with that. And uh, there is a war of 0.4. Very nice. Uh, anything on that card going to help me out? It's just an upper torso shot, and uh, he's got a little eye black on, so I guess so. All right, I'll take that. So uh, that'll take me up to 1.1, and I am I am so far not getting any sort of connection that I'm supposed to be okay. finding here. That's okay. You will. Going to the next card. Hey, this is uh, this is one of those Braves that we so enjoyed following back in the day, Mr. Mark Lemke. Let's see, Mark Lemke. I don't remember. He finished his career in Boston for one year in 31, 31 games in 1998. I don't remember that. All his other time, though, was with the uh, with uh, Atlanta. 1991, kind of doing Lemmer things, 234 average. But, you know, offense was not what you expected from Mark Lemke. Right. He was uh, more of a defensive guy. 1991, though, war of a minus 0.4. Uh, anything on that card going to help me out? Uh, let's see. He's got the uh, two and ones, man. I hate to tell you. Jeez. You wouldn't think that of Lemke. No. That's disappointing. Uh, of course, we have talked about Mark Lemke, who after... After his time in the big leagues was over, signed on with an independent team as a knuckleball pitcher with That's the right. New Jersey Jackals. He went five and one, but his ERA was 6.68. That's, that's not great. No. All right. No. All right. Your next player is pitcher Jeff Parrott. Let's see. Jeff Parrott, 10 years in the big leagues. Played for a lot of teams. Not going to lie. Uh, 1991, yeah. he also played for Atlanta. Uh, let's see. He was one and two with a 6.33 ERA. Isn't that what we just said Mark Lemke's ERA was? <laughs> I believe <laughs> so. Baller. Uh, so I'm not really too excited about his war here. Uh, let's see. It is a minus 0.5. So far, so good. <laughs> is is, is Marshall just trying to put one of us in the negatives here? Anything on that card going to help? Nope, not at all. I, I, there's something interesting on the back, though. All right. It says... Um, Traded from the Phillies to the Braves with outfielder Jim Batcher and shortstop Victor Rosario for outfielder Dale Murphy and pitcher Tommy Green. Ah, I've heard of that first uh, catcher. All right, so I am at point one. I'm in the positive. Yeah, he doesn't have uh, any eye black or glasses, and it's just a uh, upper torso shot. So. All right. All right, next for the Montreal Expos, Mark Gardner. Uh, are, are these all kinds of snakes? Is that <laughs> gardener snake? Or no, reed snake? no, the, no, a parrot snake. There, there could be something like that. <laughs> Let's see. 1991 for, uh, Mr. Mark Gardner. He was with the Expos, as you said, went nine and 11 with a 3.85 ERA. Not too bad. Uh, let's see, not a big power pitcher, not a lot of strikeouts, uh, not, didn't give up a whole bunch of home runs either. A ERA plus of 95, and that equates to a war of 1.3. Watch out. There you go. Now you're taking off. Uh, anything on the card going to help me out? Nope, only in the mustache days, and he had a good one too. Oh, in 1991, Mark Gardner no-hit the Dodgers for nine innings, but gave up two hits to start the bottom of the 10th. Oh, man. But uh, look at that, though. He's going He's going 10 innings. Not That's a, You would not see that now. No, you will not see that now. All right. And next up for the Cleveland Indians, Jeff Manto, the Mantolorian. Oh, God, that's terrible. I just, I just made that up. Jeff Manto. Which one is the Manto? Is that next to the big toe or is it down near the end? Manto is, uh, if you've got six digits, it's the extra one. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. Uh, 1991. His second year in the big league, second year with the Guardians. Uh, let's see. He was basically, he, the most games he ever appeared in was 89 in 1995. In 91, let's see, he played just <laughs> some odd positions. Uh, third base, first base, catcher, and left fielder. So hmm. uh, any way to get in the ball game, not much with the stick. Hit 211 and a 72 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of minus 0.4. About far for the course. Wow. Anything on that card going to help me out? Uh, not unless uh, the fact that it's a very awkward picture. Uh, no, there's nothing else. Manto's nickname was Mickey, except for a short 21-game stint with the Mariners in 96, where he was known as Manto Canto 
for his rally killing 185 batting average. Ouch. Man, you Seattle fans are harsh. Yeah, I, I don't remember participating in that, but it's possible I did. Yeah, so he, he's called Manto Canto, but then he ties a major league record with four consecutive home runs and four consecutive at-bats. Wow. He just needed to get out of Seattle. Well, I know the feeling. Uh, let's see, went on to uh, play with the Yamiuri Giants, struggled, was released. So right. I'm, I'm back down to one even. Okay, well, you know, it's better than being a negative one even. Uh, Let's look on the bright side. Hold on, let me see sunshine. the next card. All right, Kansas City Royals, Mark Davis. I, I, think, I, I think I finally got the connection here. <laughs> did you figure it out? <laughs> I think I finally did. Everybody is either named Mark or Jeff. Exactly. There we go. All right. Uh, 1991, he was with the Royals. Went 6-3, and 4.45 ERA. That is a 94 ERA+. plus. He pitched for 15 years in the big leagues and pitched for a lot of different teams. But uh, 1989 was a Cy Young Award winning year as a closer. He led the league with 44 saves, a 1.85 ERA, and struck out 95 or struck out 92 in 92 and two thirds innings. Very nice. Can I take that year instead? Uh, let me think. No. No. All right. Well, I get a point two out of this well. equation, unless there's something on that card that's going to help me out. It's a nice uh, powder blue Royals uniform and a smile. That's all. So that was Mark Davis. Can you guess the next guy's first name? Uh, I'm going to guess Jeff. Jeff Gray of the Boston Red Sox. You got it. Uh, so Jeff Gray, not a big, uh, not a long career in the big leagues. Only three years. 1991 was his final year. Uh, let's see. He was a righty. So, you know, that kind of explains why it wasn't a long career. Went two and three with a 2.34 ERA in 50 games. So I'm guessing he got injured. Because that's a pretty good season. But yeah. That was his final season. Uh, let's see. War-wise, 2.0. Wow. I'm liking Jeff Gray. But you didn't expect that. No, I did not. Um, anything on the card going to help me out? Oh, he's got those ugly two-in-one stirrups. And it's, it's really ugly because he's got them pulled up so that the red stripe doesn't even go down to the shoe. There's white in between, and it looks ridiculous. All right, so I suspected that he was hurt. Well, here is my answer. July 30th, 1991, Gray was preparing to go to the outfield for his daily routine during BP, and the right side of his body went numb, and he suffered a stroke. Oh, wow. That's horrible. He missed the rest of the season, and the next year he attempted to return to baseball, but he had lost velocity on his fastball and never returned to the big leagues. Well, that's a sad story. Yeah, that is. He was, uh, it says here, I mean, he was, besides Brian Harvey, he was having the best year of anybody out of a bullpen there. That's too bad. All right, next card. Next card, Mark Carrion of the New York Metropolitan. Mark Carrion, my wayward son? That's the one. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Mark Carrion, I remember this guy. Ten years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the Mets and the Giants. 1991, he was on the Metropolitans, 106 games. Not a lot of power. Hit 260, 78 uh, OPS plus. He played all three positions in the outfield, but only accumulated a war of minus 1.3. Oh, wow. <laughs> Must not have been much of a defensive outfielder. Uh, that brings me back down to 1.8. I'm still in the positive, but uh, was named in the Mitchell Report. You would have thought that any of that steroid use might have helped him a little bit, but no. Yeah, if you're going to take roids, make sure that you're, you're you know, playing like a madman at that point <laughs> he he must not have taken as much as some of the other guys also a rarity through left-handed batted right which as we know ah. the most famous of that being ricky henderson some guy named ricky yeah well your next card is uh, a guy named jeff if you can believe that wow. it's a rated rookie for the kansas city royals jeff conine as in conine the barbarian mr marlin i'm wondering are yes. we gonna see a greg jeffries card in this pack <laughs> <laughs> Jeffries, I get it. Yeah. All right. So, Mr. Marlin in 19. No, Marshall, you're killing me here. So, Jeff Conine played for 17 years. He was a rookie in 1990. 1991, he didn't make it back to the big leagues, though. So, uh, of no help to me is Jeff Conine, other than sharing an awesome first name. He was born in Tacoma. Really? How, how did I not know that? I don't know. Also played at USC or I'm sorry, at UCLA. And uh, he was part of that fire sale after the 97 season where he was traded to the Royals. Oh, yeah. 
He yep. was uh, traded for minor league pitcher Blaine Mull. At that point, I think the Marlins. <laughs> I think the Marlins were more concerned with dumping salary at that point than getting something in return. Obviously, Conine <laughs> had a great career. Won two World Series in his career. Uh, one with the Marlins in '97, and then back with the Marlins in 2003. All right, not so, a bad career. No, unless there's anything on that card that's going to help me. Uh, nope, nope, not, right. nothing here. I'm all right, right, and this is your last card, and all there's right. a note on it. And it says, I ran out of Marks and Jeffs, but had a Willie for some Hall of Fame bonus points. So your card here is Willie Stargell. All right, we'll take Pops. Was, now, is this like a, a turn back the clock card? No, this is uh, if you put all the uh, puzzle pieces together for the 91, <laughs> okay. you would get this uh, this portrait, this painted portrait of Willie Stargell. Oh, I think we've probably thrown out two whole portraits of him with those <laughs> cards. Uh, of course, Willie Stargell did not play in 1991. He retired after 1982. So I'll get the point for for being a Hall of Famer. Well, and in the painting, he has real stirrups on. I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> because that leads me up to a 2.9, which I think might be our lowest total ever. Oops. Well. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I will say this, though. We did get to talk about some players we have never had before on Wax. Yeah, that was, that's what it's all about, supposedly, right? <laughs> yes. All right. So you've got you got to shoot for the stars here. See if you can beat 2.9. All right. Here we go. Opening pack A2. And we have to guess the association between these cards as well. Okay. All right. Uh, right off the top, Rick Sutcliffe, Chicago Cubs. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going to just take a guess here. Going to be Rick's, Ricky's, or Ryan's? Or, or if there's any Nolans at that point, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to be it, man. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe, Big Red, we've talked about him quite a few times. We've Our appreciation has really grown for Rick Sutcliffe as we've dug more into his career. Not a fan of his announcing, obviously, but 1984, just such an incredible season, starting in Cleveland and then being traded to Chicago, where he only went 16-1. and one. Wow. Uh, He won the Cy Young Award in uh, 1984 for his efforts, but in 1991, he was uh, his final year with the Cubs, went 6-5 and five with a 4.10 ERA, a 95 ERA+, plus, and that equates to a war of 0.3. Okay. Anything on the card going to help you out? No, but there are fake stirrups. Oh, I'll take that. That's a minus 1.1 1. 1 for you. All right. Next pitcher for the Padres, Andy Benes, also a former Mariner. Yeah, was Rick Sutcliffe, let me look, was Rick Sutcliffe a first-round draft pick? First-round draft pick, Rick Sutcliffe. Now, we know that Andy Benes is a, is a first-round yes. draft pick. Am I on to something? I think you may be. I, I wasn't quite there yet, but I think you may be right. All right. Andy Bennis, first round pick in the 1988 draft by the Padres. In 1991, went 15 and 11 with a 3.03 ERA. You're going to beat me just with this one player, I predict. Came in sixth in the Cy Young Award, uh, balloting a 126 ERA plus, and that is a war of 4.4. <laughs> Wow. I'll uh, any, take it. Yeah. Anything else on that card going to help you out? Well, it's interesting because the stirrups look like they're fake. Oh, they're because fake. They're too, yeah, they're fake. They're, they're too perfect. Yeah, they're definitely fake. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are, actually. Uh, we talked about this last time. The uh, Todd Jones wrote in the sporting news that Bennis had a habit of gritting his teeth when he was going to throw a slider. Yeah, ah. sure. Here's his... I'm just going to print this in the sporting news. That probably didn't go over that well. All right. <laughs> you're uh, you're at 4.5. All right. Next, the, he's currently an analyst for the Seattle Mariners. He was with the Brewers back then, Bill Kruger. All right. Bill Kruger? Uh, all right. I don't see any draft picks here hmm. in baseball reference. I don't know. Is that seems like that's kind of a coincidence that the first two guys are uh, our first round draft picks. And then this guy's not. He was uh, he came up with the A's, which I did not know. Pitched the first five years of his career with Oakland. Uh, 1991 was his first year in Seattle. He had two different stops in Seattle. He went 11 and eight with a three point six ERA. That's good for a 114 ERA plus and a war of 2.9. 
there's no way you're going to lose this at this point. <laughs> well, he does have fake stirrups, so oh, that yes. takes me way back. Way back, yeah. All the way back to 7.3. All right. All right, well, so Bill Kruger signed as a free agent out of school. So there goes my there goes my theory of first-round draft picks. You're at 7.3. Okay, well, here's uh, this is going to help us out with the draft pick question. Uh, this guy was signed by the Pirates as a 12th-round choice right. in 83. There goes that thought. <laughs> Uh, lefty starter for the Pirates, John Smiley. I wonder if they ever called him Guy Smiley. Guy Smiley. I remember that guy. Muppet reference. Is that, was he on the Muppets or was he just on, on Sesame Street? I think he was on Sesame the, Street. He was the game show host, the Muppet, right? Yes. Yeah. Guy Smiley. 1991. Oh boy. He's an all-star this year. Right on. Uh, with the Pirates, 20 and 8 with a 3.08 ERA. That's a 116 ERA plus, and you're just killing me here. So that is good for a war of 3.5. He was an all-star, so that's going to bring it up to an even four. Put you up to 11.3. Anything on the card? got a lead here. Uh, no, it's just an upper torso shot, so nothing exciting. Not even a mustache. All right, so how about this? August 1995. Chicks dig the long ball, right? Yes. Smiley surrendered a home run to Tom Glavin, the only home run Glavin would hit in his entire major league career. Wow. There you go. All right. <laughs> Next card. This is good. Good for me anyway. Uh, Detroit Tigers right-handed starter, Jack Morris. All right. So you get the Hall of Fame bump right off the bat. Drafted in the fifth round. So, yeah, there goes that. Uh, <laughs> let's see. 1991 all-star year for Mr. Morris. So right there, you're at 1.5 because he's an all-star and a Hall of Famer. Uh, went 18 and 12, led the league in starts with 35. Wow, for, in 90 and 91, he was aged 35 and 36. He led the league in games started both years. And then the next year at age 37, he, won, he led the league in wins with 21. Wow. That's uh, pretty impressive. So 1991, that equates to a war of 4.3. He was a Hall of Famer, is a Hall of Famer. That's 5.3, and he was an all-star. So that is 5.8. Right on. You no, know, this is not cool. No, I don't have a problem with it. Anything on the card going to give you anything more? Uh, yeah, I believe we have fake stirrups here. Oh, yeah, those are very fake. Okay, well, that'll bump you down to an even 17 compared to my 2.9. All right, next. Next up, Chicago White Sox catcher Jerry Willard. I don't see a lot of uh, playing time on Willard's card. Eight years in the big leagues. Um, let's see, in 1995 with the Guardians, he appeared in 104 games, by far his most. He was a number yeah. two catcher. 91, he was with Atlanta for 17 games. A uh, OPS plus of 102 still, though. Wow. That equates to a war of 0.1. So despite all that, he's still in the positive. Uh, you know, I'm just playing my cards right. Yeah. This is all skill. You know that. Anything uh, Anything there going to help you out in the card? No. In fact, this is a really lame picture. It, it's just the upper torso wearing his catcher's gear, so you can't even see his face. Pretty lame. Uh, Willard, Willard's career came to an abrupt end May 10th, 1994. A foul tip off the bat of Julio Franco struck him on the right shoulder, causing a fracture and damaged cartilage. He was with wow. the uh, the Mariners at this point, too. Unable to throw, he spent the rest of the season between the DL and the minors, forced to retire at the end of the year. Today, that piece of padding attached to a catcher's protector on the shoulder, I, yeah. I'm sure you know what that is. It's called the Willard, due to this really? incident. Yeah. Okay, there's some serious baseball history that right is there. Pretty, yeah, that is why we, we go and, and dive into these guys' uh, history. And now we know the rest of the story. Yeah, the Willard, there you go. All right, you're at 17.1, and I have no idea what the connection is here. Yeah, I'm lost, to be perfectly honest. Uh, okay, moving on. I've heard of this guy, Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, back then. Left-handed power hitter, Barry Bonds. <laughs> this is not even funny. All right. Now, I think this guy's probably going to have some numbers. Uh, now, I obviously, we knew he was the son of, of Bobby Bonds. Did you know he's the cousin of Reggie Jackson? No, I had, I've never heard that. I did not know that. Uh, Barry Bonds, seven-time MVP. Eight gold gloves, 12 silver sluggers, two batting titles. No Hall of Fame bonus for you. Nope. No. 1991, he was still with the Pirates. Uh, let's see. He came in second in MVP voting. 
He did win a gold glove this year, not an all-star. Hit 292, led the league in on-base percentage with 419, and in OPS Plus with a 160. He hit 25 home runs, drove in 116, and that equates to a war of a smooth 8.0. Plus, you get the half a point for the gold glove. That's an 8.5. Wow. You know what? Something interesting. He has a wristband on with his picture. Yeah, he used to wear those. Does he have one or two? You can only see the one. Now, he is also very famous for uh, wearing the two-in-ones, or does he have his high tops on so you can't see? His feet are not in the picture. Okay. Well, I don't really want to go into the uh, the Barry Bonds archive, uh, even if he did have something named after him like the Willard. But uh, you're at 25.7. <laughs> All right. Next player, New York Mets, Dan Schottsetter, left-handed pitcher. I think he played for about 15 teams. Yeah, so Dan, is, Dan has come up because he was traded for uh, Ron LaFleur, if you remember when we did the Ron LaFleur episode. Okay, yeah. I remember because he's he's come up on this uh, a couple of times. Dan Schutzader, he pitched for a good while. He pitched for 15 years. And uh, he's one of those guys that's probably easier to name teams he didn't pitch for. Yeah, you know, as a lefty. Yeah. You Uh, get that career. 1991 was his final year in the big leagues. It was with Kansas City. He appeared in eight games, uh, only six and two-thirds innings, and had an ERA of 9.45. Not not so good. No, and that equates to a war of minus 0.5. Darn it, Dan. Uh, he was one of the only, he was the only pitcher to surrender more than one home run to Ozzie Smith. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Ozzie only tagged one guy for more than one home run, and that was none other than Dan. And that's listed as a highlight for Dan. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're at 25.2. All right, and our next player is with the then California Angels. The second baseman, not the singer, but the baseball player, Johnny Ray. Johnny Ray, who I remember, but you don't. And we're just going to go ahead and say that you don't remember him because you, you never do. No. Neither did uh, neither did Dave Drafecki, though, so it's, it's no <laughs> no shade. Uh, let's see, Johnny Ray retired in 19, after the 1990 season. So uh, unless he's sporting something impressive there on that card. Uh, he's got real stirrups, but nothing, no wristbands, nothing around the eyes. You have to Google him, see if he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Ray is from, he was born, raised, and according to this article, still lives in Chateau, Oklahoma. And the roadside, as you're entering it, reads Chateau, Oklahoma, home of Johnny Ray. Nice. Now, I think that should this go on the baseball bucket list is to drive to Chateau, Oklahoma and get a shot of this road sign? Sure. I think if if we have any listeners in the Midwest, if you are near this place, go ahead. I'm trying to think if we have anything we can offer for a picture of this road sign. There's got to be something. All right. So you are at 25.3. All right. Our next guy is a second baseman for the Expos, and I do not remember him, Junior Noboa. All right, so Junior played for eight years in the big leagues. Of course, I remember him probably best from his short stint with the Oakland Athletics, but uh, nonetheless, I also remember him with Montreal. In uh, 1991, he played everywhere except for behind the plate and uh, right and center field. One of those utility guys, uh, not much with the stick, never was. 1991, that is a war of minus point six. Might be the start of my comeback here if you get a couple more of these. All right, he's got fake stirrups, so you can throw another negative on there. All right, yeah, I'm I'm coming back. You're that only All brings right. you down to twenty four point six with two cards left. All right, two cards left. This one is an outfield outfielder for the Braves and one of my favorite names in baseball history, Oda B. McDowell. Oda B. McDowell. All right, seven years in the big leagues. Most of it was with Texas. Now, uh, 1990, he spent in Atlanta, and then he was injured or out of baseball or something. He didn't appear back in the big leagues until 1994. So you're going to get nothing, and you're going to like it here. I'll take nothing, but I'm not going to like it. Uh, Of course, we've talked many times about his uh, monthly water bill, so we won't uh, won't go over that. Uh, Oh, it'll be uh, no glasses, no wristbands, no points. All right, this is my last player. 
Chicago Cubs outfielder Doug Desenzo. All right, let's see. Doug Desenzo played for seven years in the big leagues. 1991, he was uh, entrenched in the Cubs. I remember I'm coming home from junior high and high school, turning on WGN and hearing Harry Carey say Doug Desenzo. Let's see, mainly an outfielder. He pitched a little bit <laughs> this year and in 1990. We'll get to that in a minute. Hit 255, an OPS plus of 79, and that equates to a war of minus 0.1. Yes, but he could run. Let's see, Doug Desenzo. Yeah, he did have some. He went 15 and 14 when stolen bases in 90 and 91. Uh, let's look at his pitching. So he appeared in 91. He appeared in three games on the mound. Wow. Pitched four innings, two hits, no runs, struck out two, walked two. So should we give oh. you the, uh, his pitching war was a positive 0.1. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you because uh, this is All right. a blowout. So I'm going to give you that positive 0.1. <laughs> Anything. Here's something interesting on the card. Yeah. Uh, in 132 games in Iowa in 88, he had 30 stolen bases and two inside the park home runs. Speedy. And I believe I see fake stirrups, Jeff. All right. So fake stirrups. So we're going to minus 24 points for that uh, because it's the last card. Remember that new rule? Oh, I forgot about that. Bummer. <laughs> All right. So uh, this was a blowout. 24 and a half points to my 2.9. Uh, this is getting ugly. You're well, five wins. I'm at three. Uh-oh. I do not know what these cards have in common. I am I am stumped. I was really happy with my first answer, but then that went by the wayside. So It was a good guess. What uh, what what is um, the answer? I can't figure it out, but there is a note attached that I have to open up to see the answer. Is this like All a right, Karnak but, thing? It's going you have to give three yes. answers and then okay. That's right. Okay, <laughs> Marshall, you got us. The cards were sequenced in height order of players from 6-7 to 5-8. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we would have not gotten that. <laughs> so Sutcliffe was six seven, and Doug Desenzo was five foot eight. Yeah. Now, if it would have started with John Roush and then gone to Randy Johnson and Mark Hendrickson, my my radar would have been peaked. All right. Well, again, uh, it was good. Let's let's give a shout out to uh, to Marshall, one of our listeners. And again, if anybody wants to do this, if you want to put together a custom pack of wax packs for us to open, feel free to get in contact with us. We'll tell you how to get them to us. Uh, we do ask that you make it uh, 10 cards or less just so that we can kind of get through them a little bit quicker. But thank you once again to Marshall. And uh, Mark, you are now up five to three. And with that, let us start to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Uh, once again, want to thank everybody for listening. If you do care to do so, rating and reviewing and sharing our social media posts really do help us out. Uh, if you want to do that, we would really appreciate it. If you do want to get a hold of us on the socials, we can be found at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitch, YouTube, all those things, pretty easy to find. Also, you can find us via the email address that Mark's going to tell you about. Yeah, just write to us at Two Strike Noise, T W O strike noise at gmail.com uh, carrier pigeons also are accepted should they know how to get to us and we have gotten a couple of those in the past so thank you <laughs> for that all right that's going to wrap up this episode we will be back once again next week for yet another episode of two strike noise thank you god bless you have a great day